Welcome back to Lightshed Research, a podcast that puts our research notes in your ears for your convenience. Lightshed's top 21 TMT predictions and events to watch for 2021. Happy New Year and good riddance to 2020. As always, we are kicking off TMT coverage in the new year by laying out our top predictions and events to watch for in 2021, what we call our top 21 for 21. To see what we got right and wrong in last year's top 20, it can be found here. It is safe to say the world changed more in 2020 than in any other year in our lifetimes. TMT was at the center of this rapid evolution, providing the means to alter the way we work, shop, communicate, and entertain ourselves during a global pandemic. At the same time, TMT companies helped drive political and social change and gave rise to controversies over their power and influence. 2021 has thus far been a continuation of 2020. The pandemic rages on and political controversy dominates the headlines. We are not sure when COVID-19 becomes a thing of the past. However, we are hopeful that sometime this year we will enter the post-pandemic world and begin to see what will be the everlasting impacts in a new normal. Our hypothesis on these are fundamental to the predictions we have laid out below. Even as we write this, our predictions in many ways feel overshadowed by the power of technology platforms, which is showing to, at times, rival, and even surpass that of our government. We expect debate about this power dynamic to remain top of mind throughout 2021, even as a new president is sworn in next week. However, the issues are extraordinarily complex and will likely take years to be legislated, if anything happens at all. Thus, you will not find a 2020 prediction on big tech regulation. Our top 21 for 21 list encompasses major M&A predictions, the escalating war for the living room with the connected TV serving as an increasingly powerful gatekeeper, the growing influence of video games and interactive media across other forms of media and advertising, increasing competition in wireless broadband and direct-to-consumer streaming, the opportunities and challenges facing the advertising industry spanning linear and digital platforms, the future of the movie industry as release windows disappear, growing headwinds facing the sports industry as linear TV declines accelerate, rising importance of streaming audio, and the escalating war for time and attention across media verticals. And now, on to the list. Lightshed's Top 21 for 2021. Number one. Disney and Comcast end Hulu partnership three years early. In May 2019, Disney and Comcast reached an agreement that enabled Comcast to put its 33% interest in Hulu to Disney starting in January 2024 at a minimum Hulu valuation of $27.5 billion, equating to over $9 billion to Comcast. Disney is meaningfully accelerating its D2C streaming plans as evidenced by their recent streaming investor day. And they would like to add breath to Disney Plus to become a true Netflix competitor. To that end, Disney launched a Hulu-like service overseas called Star, which is integrated into D Plus as a tile across Europe. We have to believe Disney wants to replicate that by bringing a Hulu tile into domestic Disney Plus. It's also worth noting that Disney announced that you will be able to buy and watch ESPN via Hulu, further illustrating how the services continue to collapse into a larger, more comprehensive offering. Meanwhile, Comcast is now completely focused on Peacock and would love to exit Hulu early, 
especially if that comes at a meaningful premium to the floor valuation in their agreement. With the recent increase in subscriber targets for Hulu, not to mention their share price gains of its public market comp set, we suspect the aforementioned $27.5 billion value is nicely over $40 billion today. Number two, Amazon acquires Thursday Night Football and YouTube TV takes Sunday ticket. The pandemic disrupted the NFL's plan to sell its next round of media rights by the start of the 2020 season. With only one year left on its Monday Night Football package and two years left on the other packages, we expect new media rights deals to be announced in the first half of 2021. We've adjusted our expectations for the buyers of these rights since we wrote our top 20 for 2020 and now expect a status quo for most of the rights. We believe both CBS and Fox will retain their Sunday afternoon packages, NBC keeps Sunday night, and ESPN retains Monday night but expands it onto ABC. The change in the view on CBS is driven by three factors. Number one, vocal willingness to pay whatever it takes to retain those rights. Number two, NFL sports plays a key role in the coming launch of Paramount+. And three, the ongoing pandemic has had a meaningful dent in the profitability of Disney and NBC Universal, lessening the likelihood that either will want to pay up for multiple packages. We also believe the reaction to Viacom CBS's alternative feed playoff simulcast last Sunday was quite positive. See the tweet embedded to the right. The NFL is cognizant of its need to appeal to young audiences, and Viacom has shown it can help. Another quote-unquote issue of which the NFL is cognizant is the growing existential crisis it faces given its legacy television partners are in secular decline, cord cutting, and ratings erosion. You need more bidders and packages to drive a great outcome. Thus, it behooves the league to find new streaming partners. Fox will likely need to seed Thursday Night Football to manage the large step up in Sunday afternoon games. With former Thursday Night partners CBS and NBC bowing out of Thursday Night the last time rights were licensed. In turn, Amazon Prime Video may be the best option for the NFL on Thursday, with Amazon Twitch already the simulcast partners for Thursday games. Note, even if Thursday games go to Amazon, we would expect a simulcast of certain games on NFL Network. Amazon would have effectively two years to prepare to be, quote-unquote, the broadcaster themselves. Not to mention, by 2023, the reach of Amazon Prime Video will dwarf subscribers to the legacy multi-channel bundle, which could be nearing $65 million. As for Sunday Ticket, AT&T has made it abundantly clear that they will not be renewing, meaning for the first time since the product was created, it will not be offered via DirecTV. The NFL has several options, including splitting among several buyers and or licensing to a streaming platform such as ESPN+, Apple TV, YouTube TV, or Amazon Prime, each of which market additional services within their core subscription offerings. We do not believe the NFL will split up the package. In last year's top 20 prediction on NFL media rights, we said we believe the best way to drive value for Sunday Ticket is by continuing to force a buy-through to create meaningful indirect value as DirecTV has done for years. Want Sunday Ticket? Have to pay for DirecTV first. Additionally, we believe it is possible the NFL would still like to involve an MVPD that is also carrying the NFL games available in each market, as that would be far less disruptive to the buyers of other packages. 
YouTube TV makes the most sense, giving the NFL exposure to a tech platform while basically keeping the historical Sunday ticket model intact. We would not be surprised to see the NFL take less value for Sunday ticket from YouTube TV that solves these objectives, even if ESPN Plus or Amazon Prime bid higher. Sunday ticket would give YouTube TV a real marketing advantage versus its undifferentiated VMVPD peers and further increase YouTube's growing dominance of connected TV advertising. We highlighted the potential for YouTube TV to acquire exclusive sports programming to alter the VMVPD competitive landscape in our recent Fubo short thesis. Number three, HBO, HBO Max hit 50 million subscribers. WarnerMedia's bold move to premiere all of its 2021 films day and date on HBO Max may have been controversial to Warner's creative partners, but it is going to have a major impact on HBO Max's subscriber count. It immediately helped with device distribution with a Roku deal announced in December 2020, shortly after the company reached an agreement with Amazon for Fire TV devices, which was unrelated to the day-and-date strategy shift. Since then, it appears the Wonder Woman 1984 day-and-date release led to a surge in subscribers, according to data from Antenna. See the chart embedded above right. In 2021, there will be 17 more day-and-date feature films on HBO Max, including blockbusters such as The Matrix, In the Heights, and a Suicide Squad sequel that will collectively have very broad appeal. Taken together with significant additional HBO Max content, the increased device distribution, the impact of a prolonged pandemic, and the continued collapse of the multi-channel bundle, we believe subscribers will continue to surge and end 2021 at 50 million. Note, 50 million was the 2025 goal set at the AT&T October 2019 Investor Day. Of note, HBO had already reached its 2021 year-end goal in Q3 2020 with 38 million subscribers, and we suspect HBO ended 2020 with over 40 million subscribers, with over 20 million HBO Max activations. As a source of comparison, while Disney Plus has crushed global subscriber expectations, HBO, HBO Max reaches substantially more subscribers domestically. Disney Plus likely in the low 30 million range. It's not reported by Disney. Number four, Verizon drops to last place in wireless phone net ads. Verizon has been the dominant wireless operator in the United States for the past decade, essentially owning the LTE era. However, its inability to get a spectrum deal done with Charlie Ergen disinterest in the government's free FirstNet Spectrum opportunity, and pivot to millimeter wave spectrum, which has not lived up to the promises of the prior management team, has created a bit of a pickle for the company as it enters the 5G era. Verizon's new CEO, Hans Vestberg, has an opportunity to get Verizon back on track by buying as much as 100 megahertz of spectrum in the C-band auction. That will be costly as bids now top $80 billion, the largest FCC auction ever. Unfortunately, it will also take time to deploy C-band spectrum, given the clearing that needs to be done and its weaker signal propagation. Verizon's spectrum crunch is intensifying as the competitive environment in the United States is picking up. The launch of the iPhone 12 this past fall triggered a marked increase in subsidy activity. We expect each of Verizon's competitors to be stronger in 2021. AT&T continues to reap the benefits of its one-truck-roll FirstNet deployments. T-Mobile, which already far outpaces all of its peers, will further ramp up its efforts in the second half of the year, 
when its deep mid-band spectrum deployments will offer differentiation across 200 million POPs. Cable companies will take advantage of the new, more flexible MVNO agreement with Verizon and begin CBRS deployments to move their customers' data usage off Verizon's network. DISH launches competitive service, and a new MVNO could emerge. The result is that we expect Verizon to add the least number of wireless phone net ads in 2021 of any of the major operators, even falling below regional cable operators. This would be the first time Verizon trailed AT&T since 2010. They are already close to this ignominy this year. We expect it to fall further behind in 2022. This level of subscriber growth also threatens Verizon's goal to exceed 2% revenue growth, depending on how much longer the pandemic continues to suppress international and cable co-roaming revenue. Verizon's reaction is the critical issue for the wireless industry in 2021. It certainly has plenty of EBITDA margin that it can utilize to maintain market share. However, the more logical choice for a dominant operator with a recurring revenue business which also will be adding a turn of leverage to its balance sheet from the C-band auction, is to simply bundle more content to move its existing 93 million postpaid phone customers to higher-priced rate plans. Number five, Roku raises equity to accelerate original programming. Roku recently exceeded 50 million active accounts, establishing itself as a gatekeeper for anyone trying to reach consumers on connected TVs, as we discussed in our November 2020 post. The majority of Roku's connected revenue comes from extracting ad inventory from its device residents, such as HBO Max and Peacock, with whom the company recently completed drawn-out negotiations, in addition to programmers spending on the Roku platform to promote their apps, home screen, remote buttons, etc. We believe the opportunity now exists to supercharge the Roku channel, its owned and operated AVOD service, by adding content. Increased engagement there would increase ad inventory, with 100% ownership of those ads, helping Roku grow its revenue and its valuation and also give Roku somewhat less reliance on third parties, thereby increasing its leverage in coming third-party renewal. Roku has increased its licensing of library content, including most recently acquiring rights to the Quibi catalog. While Roku has repeatedly denied any interest in creating its own content, we suspect it is just a matter of time before it sees the value it can drive to the Roku channel through exclusive original programming no different than the path laid out but its predecessors, including HBO, AMC, FX, and even Netflix. The key challenge for Roku entering the content arena is the cost of content relative to their balance sheet. Table stakes in original content is at least $500 million per year of spending. However, an equity offering is another thing, especially with a market cap that has soared to $50 billion. We believe investors would likely reward Roku for raising equity if the use of proceeds were to help differentiate Roku with exclusive content. Number six, Dish's Spectrum included in iPhone 13. Ecosystem is important for any company, and the narrative of 2021 has appropriately zeroed in on how the largest technology companies in the United States have the power to pick winners and losers. This is a reality that could ultimately result in a regulation of these behemoths. In the world of connectivity, Dish's deep spectrum position means little, if it is not included in iPhones, which we believe represent more than half the market in the United States. Dish has adroitly positioned itself as an obvious and attractive partner for big tech, following the consolidation of the U.S. wireless market last year and the importance of wireless connectivity for future big data, 
automation control, and edge compute applications. Dish has emerged as big tech's champion in many ways based on these factors. Owns a deep and complete spectrum position. Committed to deploying a flexible, open, and cloud-based network architecture in both the edge and the core. Building with the newest technologies from the start with no legacy network or technologies that it needs to evolve. No large competing media businesses. No dividend investors to appease, potentially restricting network investment. No legacy business with material regulatory risk. And has built a successful challenger company before. Dish's deal with Qualcomm last year effectively pulled the tech titan back into the wireless infrastructure business and accelerated the open RAN network ecosystem for Dish. The deal also included Qualcomm's commitment to support all of Dish's spectrum bands. A large chunk of Dish's spectrum has been in the iPhone for years, solely because its larger competitors use the same band. Another critical block of spectrum, band 70, has not been included up to this point. While Apple could certainly opt out of including Dish's band 70 when it introduces its next iPhone later this year, we believe it will embrace the new entrant, given the importance of Dish to the connectivity market in the United States. Number 7. Disney releases all theatrical films day and date on Disney+. Disney is once again testing premium access with the upcoming release of Raya in March, presumably at a $30 incremental price point to Disney+, as they did with Milan. We suspect the results will underwhelm once again, setting the stage for a pivot from day-and-date PVOD premium access to day-and-date SVOD. We expect Disney's pivot to day-and-date theatrical SVOD to materialize with the release of Marvel's Black Widow in May. As we highlighted in our post following Disney Streaming Investor Day, Disney management used the words flexible or flexibility 12 times when discussing their content strategy in 2021. Given the once-again worsening global pandemic, with other studios lacking SVOD being forced to again delay theatrical releases, Disney will likely have the excuse to exercise that flexibility in calendar 2021 to drive Disney Plus subscriber growth by releasing its films day and date. While Warner Brothers is taking the quote-unquote heat for its HBO Max pivot, Disney is likely negotiating with its talent behind the scenes in preparation for a similar pivot. We continue to believe the upside to SVOD in terms of subscribers and pricing power dwarfs the value that can be created through the historical sequential release pattern. And, as investors have rewarded Disney for subscriber growth, Disney is likely less afraid to say it does as well. Number 8. Apple's IDFA opt-in causes wide-ranging pain, accelerating the push to subscriptions. Apple's rollout of IDFA, ID for advertisers, was delayed from fall 2020 into 2021. However, we have already started to see the impact as some app developers have begun to require permission for ad tracking even before Apple makes it mandatory. While on the surface, requiring consumers to opt in for ad tracking on each and every app is simply part of Apple's privacy push, it is hard not to look at the move through a broader strategic lens. The result will be to weaken Apple's tech giant competitors and push companies further towards subscription business models. Each of the tech giant platforms is battling to capture and monetize consumer time spent. If you think of what powers two of Apple's biggest rivals, Facebook and Google, it is obviously advertising. Facebook took out ads to attack Apple, as shown in the ad embedded to the right. 
highlighting the meaningful drop in ROI for advertisers that were no longer able to target ads as effectively. If the performance of direct response ads drops, it will drive reduced advertising spending, especially for performance advertisers, which is clearly not good for a company like Facebook. However, the offset in part is that companies like Facebook and Google have substantial first-party data that will enable them to take meaningful share from smaller advertising mediums. We also suspect the added difficulty in targeting ads outside the tech platforms will lead to a greater focus on subscription business models versus advertising-dependent business models. This starts with generic publishers who will have a hard time surviving with untargeted ads, but could also push mobile game companies into services such as Apple Arcade. As Apple increasingly looks to bundle subscriptions, CBS All Access Showtime discount requires subscribers to take Apple TV Plus first. To the extent we see more and more aspects of consumers' lives subscriptionized would be a positive for Apple's services ambitions. Number nine. Interactive media platforms become critical for marketers and the distribution of content. Interactive media grew more in both engagement and power than any other area of media in 2020. Gamers naturally spent more time playing, gathering, and watching during lockdowns and beyond. But more importantly, engagement with interactive media also expanded to a new group of players who found quote-unquote games as a place for socialization communication, and self-expression. Interactive media experiences replaced the IRL, the in-real-life ones, that were no longer possible. Roblox further exploded for tweens, while very social, casual games like Among Us and Fall Guys found wide audiences, and the life simulation Animal Crossing New Horizons is on the verge of becoming the best-selling Nintendo Switch game. Meanwhile, other forms of media like live streaming, once largely just a part of gamer culture in the U.S., grew massively across categories and social platforms. We believe the expanded importance of interactive media was a COVID quote-unquote pull forward and is here to stay. In turn, for brands and all content creators who are looking to reach consumers, interactive media will become table stakes in 2021. The timing of these pandemic effects were fortuitous for platforms or soon to become platforms such as Roblox and Fortnite, which are actively working on the building blocks for an eventual metaverse. Those and others accelerated experiments with new ways to distribute old media in 2020, including virtual concerts and linear media streams on these platforms. Meanwhile, Disney properties found a home within Fortnite, while brands such as McDonald's engage consumers with interactive Roblox experiences. In 2021, these platforms will continue to add tools which will allow for better and more engaging experiences that can be more easily built. The smart brands will take advantage. Marketing has always been about finding your target consumers and creating interaction with your brand. Interactive media provides both. As for traditional media, we expect music discovery to take off in interactive media, hence the recent Warner Media investment in Roblox, and live streaming, and not just in live stream concerts. Artists will continue to experiment with live experiences or premiering pre-recorded in-gaming environments, although we do not expect this to be a regular occurrence, but we are more interested in how music can be integrated into other interactive media experiences and serve as a place of discovery. It's also worth noting the major labels made a concerted effort to stop the use of music in creator streams on Twitch and YouTube in 2020. That music will likely be replaced 
and the opportunity exists for new royalty-free music to break through across these platforms. Number 10, Google achieves dominance of connected TV ad spend. Roku has a $50 billion market cap driven by the view that it's the best way to play the shift of television advertising spend from linear TV to streaming TV. Excitement around the connected TV ad sector grew dramatically in 2020, with the likes of Trade Desk and Roku becoming significantly larger market cap companies. Media companies and their investors have also become fixated on AVOD in 2020, a landscape which now has competitive offerings from several major companies, the Roku channel from Roku, Hulu from Disney, Pluto from Viacom, Tubi from Fox, and Peacock NBC Universal, with HBO Max from AT&T set to launch an ad-supported offering in 2021, and CBS All Access, which has an ad-supported tier, set to be rebranded into Paramount Plus in early 2021 from Viacom. What everyone is missing is that the most powerful player in connected TV advertising is actually Google, driven by YouTube. YouTube, including YouTube TV, represents over 20% of time spent on connected TVs, as we illustrated in our September post, second only to Netflix. YouTube CEO Susan Wojcicki has repeatedly talked about connected TVs being the fastest growing portion of YouTube. In recent months, we sense YouTube has been opening up more and more inventory on connected TV platforms and is seeing a dramatic increase in connected TV ad spend, just as linear TV ratings are collapsing. Google YouTube has been waiting for the TV ad spend dam to break and open access to tens of billions of dollars in ad budget, and we believe 2021 will mark a key inflection point. An additional catalyst for YouTube connected TV ad spend will be the recent rebrand and relaunch of Android TV into Google TV. The screenshot embedded above right is from Google TV when you use the voice remote to search for Minecraft and Among Us, instantly returning YouTube gaming content on your TV. Google TV is a massive upgrade, which we have to date only seen in the new Chromecast hardware, which is now best-in-class connected TV hardware. In 2021, we expect OEMs to start refreshing their product lines with the Google TV interface and for Google to look for additional OEM partners for Google TV. Also to date, Google has barely marketed the new Chromecast. It would make sense to change that in 2021. Number 11, podcast ad spend gaps up and Apple launches podcast subscription. Spotify started its big podcast push in early 2019 via its acquisition of Gimlet. However, 2020 was the year that investors quote-unquote bought in to the strategy. As it acquired significant content rights, highlighted by exclusive rights to the number one podcast, The Joe Rogan Experience. Spotify also built out its podcast ad stack with acquisitions such as Megaphone. While podcast usage has increased dramatically over the past couple of years on and off Spotify, Amazon's recent purchase of Wondery signals that there will be at least two major players focused on direct monetization. Between improving ad tech targeting and ever better, broader podcast content, we expect podcast advertising to grow 40% in 2021 towards $1.3 billion. The breadth of podcast content is amazing. It almost feels like, quote, who doesn't have a podcast, end quote, albeit podcast discovery remains a major challenge. At the same time that Spotify and Amazon are leading the charge on advertising, we believe Apple will also try to monetize podcasts with the launch of an ad-free subscription podcast service. While subscription podcast art of Luminary has struggled to date, we believe Apple can be successful leveraging the Apple One Bundle 
as well as its leadership position in podcasting. Roughly 60% of U.S. podcast listening still occurs on Apple's podcast app. We wonder if Amazon could also look to launch a subscription podcast offering, leveraging their learnings from Wondery's ad-free app experience. Improving audio monetization, whether it be through advertising or the growth of subscription offerings, is likely to lead to even more and higher quality podcast content being created, driving the audio podcast flywheel. We also expect increasing consumer time spent with audio to fuel the growth of new forms of audio products beyond podcasts. Netflix launched the ability to listen to content without video on Android devices. Noble's building an audio-based subscription learning service, etc. Number 12, Snapchat reaches 500,000 advertisers and Bitmoji's importance grows. Snapchat intentionally makes its features difficult to find at first, in many ways making them part of the cool factor for a generation that grew up using it to communicate. The Snap Map was one of these. However, as Snapchat has broadened its demographic reach and looks to expand the platform's utility, SnapMap is ready for prime time. The once-hidden swipe-up SnapMap is now prominently featured on the bottom left of the recently added ribbon action bar shown in the screenshot embedded to the right. While the SnapMap was initially used to locate your friends on Snapchat and watch snaps from activity hotspots, Snapchat has now populated local businesses and wants businesses to create their own profiles. Introducing small to medium-sized business profiles give those same businesses a reason to begin advertising on Snapchat. Snapchat has never disclosed its advertiser count, but believe it will exceed 500,000 by the end of 2021, with small to medium-sized businesses starting to advertise. Note, thanks to small and medium-sized businesses, Facebook has over 10 million advertisers. Growing their advertiser base to drive advertising auction competition is critical, to scaling Snapchat advertiser to tens of billions of dollars per year, compared to 2020's estimated $2.5 billion. While Snapchat has multiple growth drivers beyond the expansion of small business advertising, in 2021 we expect it to become clear that Bitmoji is one of them. The importance of digital identity became more widespread in 2020, as sandbox games and social simulations found a broader audience. The fully customizable avatar has become a key component to these games and a means for self-expression. Avatar and characters and skins have mostly been locked to individual games and platforms. However, that will change and Bitmoji is positioned to lead the charge. The first step was Bitmoji moving from just a 2D sticker to 3D, where it can serve as an avatar. The Bitmoji SDK unveiled in 2020 is finding its way to third-party games. Last month's deal between Unity and Snap should quickly proliferate Bitmoji's usage in third-party mobile games. We expect new partnerships in 21, including one with Roblox. Snap has done little on the Bitmoji monetization front, but if you look at the amount that have been spent on game skins for years, and especially on Robux being spent on customizing avatars, the opportunity is obvious. Bitmoji has already experimented with digital goods from Nike and Ralph Lauren, which are freely available. But imagine not only being able to customize your Bitmoji in Air Jordans, but being able to instantly buy them for your in-real-life self after you see what they look like on your digital self. Worth noting that Bitmoji already plays a central role in the aforementioned SnapMap product, and we would not be surprised to see commerce applications tied to Bitmoji surface within the SnapMap as business profiles expand rapidly in 2021.
Number 13, MGM Studios acquired by Comcast's NBC Universal. With the streaming wars heating up, the biggest legacy media learnings from the past year is that you need far more high-profile content than anticipated to drive gross ads, increase engagement to drive pricing power, and reduce churn. We've already seen Disney double their expected content spending trajectory over the next several years to $8 billion in 2024 from a prior forecast of $4 billion. We are convinced the best way for Comcast's NBCU and AT&T's WarnerMedia to compete is to merge NBCU and WarnerMedia, as we detailed back in November 2020. However, we believe both companies are not yet ready to admit they do not have enough scale to compete with Netflix, Amazon, Apple, Disney, etc. If both companies are not prepared to sell to create a larger entity, both are going to need even more content. This is especially crucial as the outlook for theatrical exhibition grows cloudier, making a scaled SVOD service that much more necessary. MGM Studios has been put up for sale, and while we believe many companies are likely looking at acquiring MGM, we believe Comcast makes the best buyer, even if they have repeatedly denied interest. NBC has sought to bulk up its content arsenal, having acquired DreamWorks Animation in 2016 and very much wanting to acquire Fox in 2018. In acquiring MGM, NBCU would gain access to the Bond franchise that has been severely underexploited beyond a movie every few years. Within NBC Universal, we could imagine how the Bond franchise could be expanded into its own Bond character universe, a BCU, leveraging linear TV, streaming, and theme parks. In addition, MGM owns Epics, which recently replaced Stars as the bundled movie service in certain Comcast video packages, and be, could be used to create a more robust SVOD offering for NBC Universal versus Peacock's AVOD focus, and Mark Burnett TV which could fuel increased unscripted reality content creation for Peacock. It is worth pointing out that an accelerated Hulu sale to Disney in 2021 would free up cash for Comcast to redeploy into buying MGM. We have long believed that WarnerMedia is the most logical acquirer of MGM, given their historic partnership on The Hobbit. However, we sense WarnerMedia is far more focused on fixing DC Comics versus adding more franchise IP. From a cash outlay standpoint, AT&T may also be less interested in acquiring MGM in a year when it is spending significantly in the Spectrum auctions. We do not expect the tech platforms to have interest in MGM as they are more focused on building content from scratch. As well, the greatest synergies would accrue to existing studios with large production infrastructures. Number 14, creator direct-to-consumer platforms see exponential growth. Platforms such as Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, Twitter, and TikTok have all shown talent, whether digitally native or non-digital celebrities, athletes, musicians, models, and actors, that they can build robust direct-to-consumer relationships themselves. What had been missing is a way to monetize that fandom directly beyond advertising and sponsorship. Several companies have gained traction to fill this void and build a robust creator economy, some of which have begun to expand their creators well beyond just digital natives, albeit it is still early days. Over the past several years, we have seen cameos shift from B and C list celebrities and athletes to mainstream acceptance with musicians such as Melissa Etheridge to This Is Us star Chris Sullivan to the NFL's Drew Brees, etc. OnlyFans, which took off with the Not Safe for Work content, is expanding into more mainstream creators such as musicians Cardi B, see her announcement embedded to the right, and Tiga, model Black China, and actors such as Real Housewives star Sonia Morgan and coming soon Michael B. Jordan. 
Patreon has been used for years as a way for creators to build direct billing relationships with their fans. With top podcasters offering exclusive content to their fans via Patreon, musician Ben Folds 5, and even actress Issa Rae. In addition, Substack took off in 2020 as a way for anyone who wants to publish written content to create direct-to-consumer subscription offerings. No larger publishing organization needed. Recently adding Glenn Greenwald and Casey Newton, amongst many, many others. With top talent on OnlyFans generating millions, and top talent on Cameo and Patreon now generating over $1 million annually, we expect an increasing tidal wave of non-digital creators shifting to embrace direct-to-consumer subscription platforms to monetize their fandom, cutting out the media companies that traditionally sit between talent and consumer. We would also expect a growing array of B2B companies to be built that support the rapidly growing creator marketplace. Number 15. Apple TV Plus content budget soars to $5 billion. There was no shortage of skeptics after Apple launched Apple TV Plus in November 2019. A year later, we feel quite comfortable saying Apple TV Plus had the best content run of any of the major SVOD or AVOD services launched over the past year or so, including Disney Plus. While all eyes were on the morning show at launch, the content slate built considerably throughout the year with notable series such as Ted Lasso and Tehran, as well as Apple starting to license direct-to-SVOD movies such as Greyhound. Everyone we talk to in Hollywood is talking about how aggressively Apple is pursuing both TV and film projects. A partial list can be found here. The Greyhound experience acquired from Sony helped prove to the Apple TV Plus team that new original movies are critical to the success of an SVOD service. While Apple has never commented on how much it is spending, we suspect about $2 billion in 2020, nor how much it will spend. We're reminded of Eddie Q's answer to our question back in 2017 at Code Media, as you can watch embedded to the right. We believe Apple is likely to spend $5 billion in 2021, with an increasing focus on movies and international, local, episodic content. Number 16. Sports teams and leagues need new revenue streams as media rights start to disappoint. As we went into lockdown last March, sports came to a screeching halt. Fans waited as the leagues worked out protocols for a return. With consumers at home and sports fans starved for content, pundits believed it was inevitable that sports viewership would explode as the leagues made a return. That never happened. There were clearly numerous cyclical contributing factors, but the bottom line is sports lost the war for time and attention in 2020, and we believe secular trends perhaps pulled forward amplified by the pandemic, are also at work, especially among younger viewers. As such, we do not believe we will see a complete return to pre-pandemic viewership numbers in 2021. As ratings suffer and MVPD subscribers continue to decline, both cause and effect for sports ratings, there will be less available dollars for network programming. We have said this will not impact the NFL, which remains in its own category and will get paid handsomely. But for other sports leagues and teams, we expect a turning point for sports rights in 2021 at both the national and local level. Significant increases for domestic sports rights were a given, as long as we can remember. Those days will end in 2021. At the national level, we are already seeing signs of a reset, as ESPN will reportedly pay much less, $550 million versus $700 million annually, when it renews its MLB deal. We also expect disappointment when the NHL consummates a new rights deal this year. 
The current 10-year domestic NHL deal with NBCU expires at the end of the 2021 season. Even as the NHL delivers relatively paltry viewership, the prevailing wisdom has been that at a $200 million AAV and around $250 million this season, it is still dramatically underpriced in the current marketplace and will see a massive step up, perhaps as much as 3x. We believe the league will be extremely disappointed and expect the 2021-2022 season rights to begin at not much above $300 million. The situation at the local level is more dire. Distributors have already become emboldened in dropping RSNs, which will directly impact what local networks are willing to pay for team broadcast rights. The Milwaukee Brewers and the Florida Marlins currently do not even have a distribution deal for 2021. We expect them to find partners, albeit at lower numbers. And while RSNs keep talking about going direct to consumer, we simply do not see how the math works. In 2021, the leagues will be forced to look for alternative distribution models, especially at the local level. Finding a way to incorporate sports betting will be one solution, but it is far from a panacea. The debate for how to shift the model and finding new revenue sources might ultimately become the number one issue dominating lead ownership meetings this year. Number 17, live events return strong, movie theaters struggle. The COVID-19 pandemic continues to rage globally. In the U.S., more people are dying now than at any point during the crisis. Thus, the entertainment world is still operating under necessary COVID restrictions. We can see an end to the pandemic, though, with vaccine distribution underway. Therefore, it is worth speculating how the quote-unquote COVID losers will fare in the post-pandemic world. In short, we believe most pre-pandemic secular growers will return to a robust growth, while those who faced real headwinds prior to the pandemic will never find their way back to the same relevancy. This dichotomy is best illustrated by comparing the live entertainment business with the movie theater business. As the world hopefully gets back to normal sometime in the second half of 2021, we expect the live entertainment business to boom. Prior to the pandemic, global concert attendance had not seen a down year since 2010, allowing its largest player, Live Nation, to compound double-digit EBITDA growth for the entire decade. The explosion of digital helped catalyze the growth of the experience economy as social media became currency and people looked for a reprieve from the digital world. Post-COVID world, it stands to reason that we will look to escape our digital lives even more, amplifying the desire to participate in experience economy. Streaming concerts and even new live experiences in interactive media have taken off in COVID. However, they are still severely limited in their experience, although we expect more unique interactive experiences in time. The data indicates the concert business will come roaring back. On the demand side, 83% of tickets, Live Nation postponements, have been kept and new on-sales have been met with sellouts. On the supply side, Live Nation has indicated more top touring artists planning to tour in second half 2021 and 2022 than ever before. Movie theaters represent the flip side of the COVID losers. Unlike the live business, there are alternatives and they became more well-established during COVID. That business was in secular decline coming into the pandemic, with the explosion of film and higher quality episodic television content available on SVOD services. In 2020, the amount of content on these services continued to grow quickly and will further climb in 2021 as Netflix, Disney+, Plus, Apple, and HBO Max all significantly grow content expenditures and new services launch. More importantly, COVID broke theatrical windows, punctuated by Warner's releasing its films day and date on HBO Max and our belief that Disney will follow in Warner's path. In short, the genie is out of the bottle, and theatrical business will return to a much smaller one 
post-COVID. Number 18, legacy media stops investing in TV everywhere as D2C takes center stage. TV Everywhere launched in 2009 with a joint announcement from Time Warner, now part of AT&T and Comcast. The entire initiative has been a failure since day one, driven by the challenges of getting so many companies to work together, authentication, horrible, repetitive ad experience, and windowing that has made the available content unpredictable, and we are being kind. With Viacom's coming launch of Paramount+, Plus, following the recent launch of Discovery+, Plus, all the major legacy media companies have launched D2C offerings. D2C apps have become management and investors' focus, with TV everywhere essentially left to fade away. The most ambitious content exports is all headed straight to streaming, rather than inside the cable bundle. In turn, there is less and less reason for consumers to use TV everywhere, with usage already embarrassingly low. Maintaining and updating apps, Disney Now, Discovery Go, Watch DBS, FX Now, etc., for a never-ending array of devices simply does not make sense, especially as the programmers are no longer marketing these apps and consumers' attention has shifted away. We thus expect legacy media companies to meaningfully reduce their spending on TV everywhere in 2021. Ultimately, these apps will simply fade away. Number 19, Call of Duty multi-experience paradigm replicated and imitated. The established Western PC and console game publishers have compounded growth over the past several years, as technology has allowed them to monetize beyond upfront sales and digital distribution made for higher margin products. However, they have generally failed at expanding their IP to new players and markets and capture much additional TAM, although the pandemic did help this year. While the likes of cloud gaming may help eventually, moving that IP onto mobile and experimentation with lower barriers to entry business models, especially free-to-play, is the current answer. In 2020, Activision provided the paradigm for how publishers can, quote, have their cake and eat it too, with Call of Duty. As Call of Duty Mobile took off, the company introduced the free-to-play Warzone, the result is a franchise with multiple distinct but related games operating together. Together, they dramatically expand Call of Duty's monetizable base, but also work synergistically to deepen engagement across the franchise and cross-sell to each other. In 2021, we expect Activision Blizzard to push more franchises into this model. Additional free-to-play experiences will come. We believe headlined by Overwatch player vs. player going free-to-play ahead of an O-front player vs. everyone Overwatch 2. Even if the free-to-play experiences do not launch this year, we expect Activision to begin to socialize such a strategy for something across all their franchises. There will be eventually mobile experiences for each major franchise as well. Diablo Immortal will finally launch later this year on mobile, and we expect new mobile games to be announced for other franchises. Games is a copycat business, and other publishers have noticed Call of Duty's step function growth. We expect more experimentation with free-to-play and renewed interest in mobile from other major publishers. To that end, we would not be surprised to see GTA Online and Red Dead Online both become free-to-play in 2021. Rockstar has already started down the path with GTA Online, being offered separately on PS5 and Xbox Series X and S, and RDRO, a standalone experience. Free-to-play is the next logical step. Number 20, Verizon sells media assets. Verizon's former CEO, Lowell McAdam, spent nearly $10 billion on desktop-focused media assets that included AOL and Yahoo. It was a late and futile attempt to secure eyeballs in order to leverage Verizon's 100 million-plus subscriber base for ad tech. Verizon's 2016 investor meeting was memorable for many investors, as management struggled to explain its vision to, quote, create the Viacom of tomorrow. 
Synergies with its wireless business have failed to emerge, and Verizon's new CEO, Hans Vesberg, wrote down these assets in 2018 within three years of their purchase. Then, Tim Armstrong, the leader of that unit, departed at the end of 2018. The failure of Verizon's digital media assets to combine a mobile platform with robust first-party data means that the introduction of IDFA could further pressure Verizon media revenue. We estimate Verizon media revenue will fall to $6.5 billion in 2021 from $7.7 billion three years ago, in stark contrast to the significant growth we are seeing in digital advertising across the major tech platforms. Verizon also faces a higher-than-expected C-band spectrum auction that could add a turn of leverage to its balance sheet. The last time it spent big in a spectrum auction was 2015. Following that auction, it sold its towers to American Tower and local operations to now-bankrupt Frontier for over $15 billion. Its existing media asset will clearly not come close to that mark. It has already begun shedding portions of that media portfolio with the sale of Huffington Post in a recent all-stock deal with BuzzFeed for an undisclosed price. We suspect that was a money-losing business segment. Vesperg has repeatedly denied an intent to sell its media businesses, despite credible news stories of them being actively for sale. Finding buyers will also not be easy, as profitability has likely shrunk meaningfully. Without a top-line growth story, taking the unit public would appear challenging at best, even in the midst of SPAC euphoria. A merger into another digital content company to increase scale and reduce the combined cost structure could be Verizon's only hope to exit akin to Vice and Refinery29, Group 9 and Pop Sugar, or even BuzzFeed and HuffPo. Number 21. Donald Trump launches D2C media platform. With Trump set to leave office on January 20th, all signs point to the launch of a media company that enables him to reach consumers directly. Following his removal from the Twitter and Facebook platforms, it appears increasingly unlikely that he could partner with an existing media platform. Not to mention when we first envisioned Trump TV, We assumed it would be a video-centric, direct-to-consumer streaming offering at around $5 per month aimed at the 74 million that voted for him. However, with his removal from social media and messaging platforms this past week, we assume he will now be thinking about a service that has far greater ambitions than just video streaming, presumably messaging and more, as he alludes to in a tweet embedded above. Based on what happened over the past week, We have no doubt that there is a large group of consumers willing to support Trump after he leaves office, implying launching a media business would not be challenging from a subscriber standpoint. Even 5 million households at $5 per sub per month yields a 300 million top line business. The far greater challenge for Trump is how to launch a service with the app stores blocking unmoderated apps such as Parler and even AWS preventing Parler from using its cloud infrastructure. Even if Trump decides to go with an open web subscription service to get around App Store restrictions, would he need to buy his own servers around the country? That said, we suspect even if Amazon is not willing to host President Trump's service, some other cloud player might. What else in 2021? Usually we use this space to predict the biggest blockbuster movies and the biggest unexpected flops of the year. But given the lack of visibility surrounding the ongoing COVID-19 global pandemic, it is impossible to even know what movies will actually be released in theaters during 2021 and how day-and-date releases or shorter windows before SVOD or PVOD will impact attendance. 
We thought it would be fun to shift gears from movies predictions to video game predictions. However, the hits in this business are becoming increasingly unpredictable, with games from under-the-radar studios finding massive audiences out of the blue. For example, Among Us in 2020, which was released in 2018. IPOs expected in our coverage universe. Roblox, direct listing, already announced. Bumble, IPO, already announced. Vimeo, spinoff from IAC, already announced. Vizio, IPO tied to surge in connected TV and ad spend. SPACs of lots of TMT companies, many of whom should not be public, such as BuzzFeed and Triller, which have been speculated in the press, and we look forward to evaluating them for good long and short ideas in 2021. Other topics everyone will be talking about in 2021. The return of net neutrality, but without rate regulation. Sports betting legalized in New York State, with a rollout possible in 2022. Meanwhile, California remains silent on sports betting. Stadia and Luna do not find traction, with cloud gaming's focus shifting to the creation of unique experience not possible with local compute. Apple versus Epic App Store fee battle enters the courtroom. Zoom uses its now massive user base to enter consumer media business, such as live event streaming. Outcome of the Dish versus SpaceX over 12 gigahertz spectrum. Cord cutting accelerates to 7% from 5 to 6% in 2020. Paramount Plus partners with T-Mobile following Quibi disappearance. Live Nation restarts acquisition push, rolling up distressed international assets, including Ocesa. Netflix India hits inflection point, driven by dramatic ramp in local content spend. Cable's plans for C-band spectrum. Pinterest expands monetization overseas with international revenue mix exceeding 20%. New tvOS operating systems emerge. RDOF high bidders applications invalidated. SoftBank exits all ride-sharing investments. WWE finally licenses domestic network. Peloton launches Rower. Liberty does nothing to fix tracking stock discount. Maybe, if we say they won't, they actually will this time. Peter Adderton's new MVNO, MobileX, will top 500,000 subscribers. MSG announces major new sponsorship deal for Madison Square Garden in the Las Vegas sphere. Bally's RSNs do not return to DISH as DISH renews retrans with Sinclair stations. Legato signs long-term lease with Cable JV. Charlie D'Amelio's family's coming Hulu series becomes instant hit. Starlink launches in 10 new countries. SoftBank attempts to corner Bitcoin market. And major data breach at a TMT company. Have a great 2021. Hope you enjoyed our predictions for the year.